You're listening to the Growing America podcast, Conversations with a Farmer. Today's episode is The Coming Storm with Justin Long. Hey y'all, Chad here. I'm sitting with a good friend of mine, Justin Long. Justin and I actually went to high school together back in the day. Justin, I'm not gonna lie, I had no idea you were gonna be so successful. I don't know about how successful (laughs) I am, to be honest with you. We've known each other for a pretty little while. One of the main reasons I wanted to come see you today was to talk about kind of the, the current state of the economy for farmers, but I think we have to frame that in what we're sitting here looking out over, and that's a generational farm. This isn't something your mom and dad bought or you bought. No, uh, my great, oh Lord, my great, great grandfather came down here and he bought up a lot of this land. You know, back then it was, you know, the place down there that I live at, I wanna say he gave just a couple dollars an acre for it, okay? Which that was a lot of money back in, you know, depression era. His daddy before them came down here. I think they came from North Carolina is what my understanding is. They came down here and settled in this area. And, uh, you know, he, poor person, but he was rich in land, I guess you'd say. You know, they lived pretty meager, which we all gonna get back to leaving meager if we keep going the way we're going in life. It's a tough thought. We've had so much for so long. When, when you and yeah. I were young, I mean, the 80s, I mean, everybody was doing well. Mid-80s on, right? Yeah. Farmers took yeah. it in the early 80s, but those removed from the farm, like our family was, I mean, everything was great. 90s, life was good. Things have been good, but it does seem like there's a change happening. And is it cyclical, a cyclical change, or is it just <sighs> something different going on? You know, I hear people talk about the late 70s, early 80s. Some of those farmers, you know, that put a lot of farmers out. Some farmers survived it. Some farmers remember it, but don't remember it well enough to, to, I think, take precautions in what is coming. I think we forgot that, you know, that that the economics, the economic hardships that very well could happen is looking like it. I mean, granted, we don't have those high interest rates that we had back in the 80s, but all the cost of inflation, every every single input that we buy and purchase is up to go along with high interest. And it's, 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 it, it's going to be a recipe for disaster unless something changes. Well, you talk about inflation, right? The, the prices on the shelf when you go shopping. Yeah. Right? Prices are way up. Most people, I think, would assume that if those prices are up at the grocery store, then your prices are up and you're making more money, uh, too. I wish it was. It'd be nice, wouldn't it? A lot of things have went up, and you got to pay if you're going to get it. And, and there's two main things, I guess. The main thing this past year, or this year, 2023, was what the cost of labor has went up to. And I know people have got to make a living wage, and I understand that. But the cost of labor is driving a lot of this stuff. And, and you know, the cost of fertilizer is up right at 300% of what it was 
you know, two years ago, before pre the Ukraine war. I know they blame it on that. I don't. I, I mean, I think it's just a culmination. Of a lot of stuff is a culmination of the the shutdown. It's a culmination of war. It's it's, it's a culmination of so many things that's thrown together. And you question whether is is this is this is this fictional or is there some truth behind it? Yeah. Because you question a lot of stuff. Because it's just I don't. I know. I guess being a small person, far southwest Georgia. You know, I don't. I, I know what's going on in the world, but I guess I don't fully comprehend what happens on a the whole financial side of the world, too, yeah. okay? Trade agreements and this and that, but just a lot of money out there just costing everybody to live and do what we have to do. Something that always gets me is when you see prices change and you see things moving or shooting way up. Nothing in the world's really changed. Everything's the same, except for some group of people's opinions on things about how yeah. things should be different. The same amount of fertilizer is still out there that was yeah. out there before, right? Yeah. I mean, that's not any different. But for some reason, there's a shortage and there's higher prices. I've, I put it this way. They claim there's a shortage here and a shortage here. I have not been able. The only shortage I have seen is on certain and that was two years ago, was certain size tires of tractors. Whereas you can snap your fingers, you can have a tractor tire in a day or two days. It was taking a week, 10 days uh, out, about specialty tires. And I can understand that. But input-wise, fertilizer-wise, I've never been told we don't have that. I've never been told that it might be a week before you get your diesel. It might be a week before we can get you that load of 28% of nitrogen. That had been the case. It's been there. Now some of you, now some of your, some I, I came back at now some of your seed varieties have been. There's been a backlog on them because of supposedly labor issues, getting harvested. A lot of stuff, you know, vegetable wise is hand harvested sometimes. But everything else hadn't been. No, can't get it. You can get it. So anything we talked about would probably be speculation, right? Because there's no way we can find out the truth behind no, all that. No, not you know when you've been, when you've decreased. You're, 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 and not to throw off, because I know, you know, that's the way we was taught in economics is you got to vertically integrate, you got to get bigger, you got to get bigger, you got to get bigger. When you only got a handful of companies that's handling the imports of fertilizer, I'm not saying they are, but I mean, they could, they could very well manipulate where there's a, a price and, and supply deal, but like I said, I've heard of nobody that that couldn't get it. Now, some of us, you know, you, you cut back, you say, okay, I've been just, just rest, it's just rough things. Say, you know, I can, I've been growing this X crop, amount of crop with 150 pounds of nitrogen. I'm gonna scale it back to 110, 120, and, and, and it worked, and you're kind of saying, okay, well, we can do this. But just flat out not put nothing out. No, nobody was ever denied that. So, you mentioned the 70s and 80s. Tell me what you know about that time period. I know that, the, from what I understand, the 70s was good. You know, there was a lot of boom and growth in agriculture. Down here, I think irrigation was just now really getting kicked off down here where we're at. And my understanding, there was two really bad years of drought. And then interest rates just went through the roof. But there was also fuel shortages, if you remember. They mm -hmm. was talking about the, the, what was the Iran fuel embargo. I'm not, I'm not, I'm, I'm sure I'm gonna mix some of these words up, okay? I'm not, no them. But I understand, you know, there's a lot of stuff that they were scared, it was panic. It was this, it was that. We're not gonna get this, we're not gonna get that. There again, nobody ever, ever done without. 
but everything kind of, I mean, it was costing a lot less to make this land. The prices were there. Now the prices are, I mean, we're growing the corn is just about as much now as what it was 40 years ago. The amount that we're growing or the? Well, well the price that we receive per bushel is just, is not far off from what it was 40 years ago in a lot of this stuff. But yet the cost of everything else has went up, all your production and it's So your cost though, right, has gone, gone up, right? Yes. So is. your cost has gone way up, but the cost yes. on the opposite side where you're selling the product has it's, not gone it's up. It's not really. I mean not it right. it's you know, the cow yeah, cattle's up, beef's up. I, and and give it a few months, it'll be back down. I mean it's everything is driven and people back off of it. They go from I mean, years ago cotton was kind of astronomically high. Nobody had no cotton. Well, your daggum textile mill swapped over from cotton. They went to using polyester. They just cracked. You know, it's, and cotton had been the same since. Anytime stuff gets really high, the consumer finds a way to go around. It's okay. I don't need this as bad as I needed it. You know, we can do without. But a lot of this, I just really think, is a lot of stuff is manipulated by traders. Hundred percent of the problem. You know, and. I'm all for capitalism, don't get me wrong. I'm, I'm, I'm all about capitalism, that's what drives everything. But man, when you got two or three packers left in the United States that's packing beef, and they you can go from a shortfall of beef all of a sudden to overplant. You know, they just shut down for a little while and say, okay, well we behind, we can't process, They we can't kill all these cattle we got on feed. But then you know what happens? It pushes it all back up. It's like putting a dam on a creek. It just keeps backing the water up, but then the prices get soft again. Now, they're going to have to start back harvesting eventually. But when they do, are they still going to manipulate the market? You talked about the 70s and early 80s, and you and I talked before about the tractorcade. Yeah. What farmers did. If you heard stories sitting on your dad's yeah. lap as a kid, yeah, because your dad, your dad was. I part wish of that. I wish I had all the pictures. I can't find them. I don't know. My mama had them and she put them up and she passed away two years ago. I don't know what she's done with them. I guess we may find them eventually, you know. But I've heard, you know, my dad told me that was the best. How did he put it? Let me see. That was the best thing he ever participated in his life. He met people from all over, you know. What made it, from what you understand, what made it the best thing you ever participated in? It was all the farmers were united together. You know, of course, you didn't have all of them. You had some of them that stayed back and say, hey, you know, so-and-so ain't planting this. I'm going to plant that. I'm going to capitalize on it, you know. But for the majority, it's the first time, I guess, in history that all the farmers kind of came together as one and said, okay, listen, this is not working. We need to do something. You know, they went to Atlanta. I heard about, you know, going to Atlanta up there one time. And then, of course, he drove from, he drove to Washington, D.C., the, the second go around from Unadilla, Georgia. I think it's where the southern part met up. And they left from there. They hauled him to Unadilla and then drove from Unadilla to Washington, D.C. Did they drive in their cars? Dad drove a tractor. He had a, I want to say it was a 1370 case. He bought it. It was brand new. You know, that was, there was a lot of tractors there that people had bought brand new during that time. He was him and Chuck Lashley and I want to say there was one more from Decatur County that drove and then there were several farmers went up there that brought that hauled you know the supplies had motorhomes and it was kind of the the backup for a lot of these guys and whatnot. I would imagine folks that are listening to this there's gonna be a large part of the audience that has never heard in the late 70s 
Farmers across the country got together it and was. drove their tractors to it, Washington. It was it was a good, you know, year. They still got that movement still goes on. They meet up. They got a reunion out there around really? the Lubbock Amarillo area is where they got out of. But yeah, you know, I, we didn't, years ago when we was in, I had a cousin got married in Washington, D.C. I was in the seventh grade, and that was a long time ago. <laughs> we went, my dad took us to the Smithsonian, okay? And I don't care nothing about other stuff, but, you know, they had the ag side of Smithsonian. You know, I eat that up. And going through there, and there was a, it was a 1586, 1486. I can't remember, but it was, I mean, it was practically brand new. And we're reading through there, and there's all the list of these people who, who, paid a portion to contribute this tractor there my dad's name was he said man i forgot all about that that's know? incredible yeah it is but yeah he met a lot of people he met a lot he was still in touch up to us a couple years ago with some farmers out of texas and they had the same oddly they had the same last name as we do they wasn't no kin but it was just huh. odd farmers got together back then to try to move the market right yeah to get well to try to get some yeah from the president you know i don't I, you know, I think Jimmy Carter was a good man in his own essence, but he was a terrible president from what I understand, you know. I think he was a good God-fearing Christian man, just the president side of it was not his forte. And he kind of crashed American life, for what I know now. I, I, I wasn't there to, I was only, what, a year, two years old? Yeah. I wasn't a whole head of a lot You're not the first farmer that I've heard say that. Like, I've yeah. heard older farmers, and they lay all the blame at his feet for what happened to the farmer during well, that period. I, I don't know. I'm, I'm sure I'm sure it wasn't all him. I'm sure he was. Was he the one poking the fire? He might have been. He might have been. <laughs> he might have been throwing the wood on the fire that was always go, already going. Yeah. But, uh, you know, nowadays, given what I see in the political ring from the local government to state government, to national government, I wonder sometimes how much of the public's best interest any of them have yeah. when it comes to it. And and it don't matter. You take somebody that you've known your whole life, and they get into one of those positions, and you got a question: you know, What are they really thinking? This, who's it for? Is it for them, or is it for us? And that's one of those things you'll never know. Like, no. you don't know if there's a real shortage, right? Of fertilizer. You're just being fed was totally. Yeah, and there's no way to prove it. So I think you gotta just keep the best, most positive outlook you can, right? You know, I don't I don't get out much. I stay here. I mean this is my livelihood. I drive down the road to my house, which is less than a half a mile, and I drive here every day. I don't go anywhere. But I ate lunch with a fellow farmer of mine and a chemical salesman. And the chemical salesman does not have a very bright look for next year at mm -hmm. all. For chemical sales or for farmers? Well, for their side of, cause you know they do a lot of in-house financing and all. Yeah. And he said it's plum scary. They're scared to death yeah. on their end. That you know when they do in-house financing, most of the time they don't. The secured a note they have is that crop. They don't have land. They don't have all that. So they're nervous. You know the the farmer was, I was talking to. He said Justin said you know and I've known this guy for a long time, over 25 years. And he says, Justin, he says, it's nowhere near as fun as it used to be. I said, no, it ain't, dude. It ain't, it ain't fun. And I know that comes with getting older. You get older, you get more responsibilities. You create more debt. You have more on your mind. But it's not 
and I've heard, you know, I heard, heard the older generation years ago, a lot of them quit. It ain't as fun as it used to be. And I said, man, damn, I'm having the time of my life. It's fun. <laughs> you know, and it was. And it's still fun in an instance, but when it gets to that point, Chad, it starts messing with you the way you act towards people. You know, you, you quit being a happy person sometimes. You just become a a grump. Yeah. Uh, you know, and it's, it's, I try to stay positive. I do now. I'm, I've always been a positive person, but now 2023 20, has been a really hard year in some instances to stay positive when it feels like you're swimming with blocks on your feet. Yeah, I don't, I don't want to take you or this conversation further down that negative road, but you talked about the people that are scared of 24. I mean, what is the, the word? From what I hear, it's not it's not going to be a pretty year. That doesn't mean things can't change, right? No, it's not. And, and I, I've just read today where, you know, the feds have dropped interest rates a little bit. That's, that's good. Uh, is it enough to make a difference? Well, if you borrowed several $100,000 a year, which that's... that's that's nothing, you know. These yeah. guys borrowed a million, two million dollars, but that's that's a nice little change. But man, if the rest of these inputs don't come down, we are in tough shape. You know, the farm bill. I realize they're supposed to do. They've extended farm bill for another year, which was bad. If if current commodities stay where they're at, if current inputs stay where they're at, that is bad. And I know that everybody say, well, you know, that's welfare. And well, it, it, it is. I mean, it's it's a, it's a, it's subsidizing, but it's also keeping them people in business. Now, you know, if they gave us, if the farm bill would have failed, they so supposedly go back to parity, which is your food would have been so outpriced if they went to that, you couldn't even afford to eat. I mean, you would have went from, and I don't know what it is now, but you know, pre-inflation-wise, roughly 14, 13 to 14% of your average income went to food purchase. I'm sure it's probably closer to 20% now. But if it had done that, uh, you'd have been up there 50, 60% of what your food cost would have been. Yeah, that wouldn't work. Uh, no, it wouldn't work. I mean, right now, heck, we all struggling. You know, I say struggling. You're, you're, you're. You're eating things differently than you wouldn't eat. You're buying stuff off the grocery store shelf you generally wouldn't buy. You catch yourself not buying certain things because you don't need it. It was a luxury item. I think it's going to be a big change if something don't happen. The lending institutions are going to back up and say, okay, you know, even though you got a loan, you say you've been growing this crop for $1,000 an acre, but whether it's going to cost you $1,500 an acre now to grow it, well, I'm only going to loan you a thousand dollars an acre. The other five hundred, you're going to have to go get from a farm supply place, an outside finance thing. Well, if you backed up from last year, it's just not going to flow right. It's not going to work. Uh, they got so much money you can borrow on a piece of property, and their banks are going to protect their sales before you know you just can't do it. So we'll back up in just a second to what you're talking about, but. You mentioned watching your sales of meat here yeah. at your direct consumer location, right? Yeah. Tell me about that again. It, you know, so I guess, let me back up. 20, June of 2022. I saw a little bit of a change, and I know that sounds crazy, and it went from, let me use for instance, is I do a direct uh, 
I sell my own beef, okay? This process, grown here, you know, and I, I sell it up here at my fruit, at my vegetable stand. And generally the ribeyes would sell out within, or the steaks in general, all cuts of steaks, would sell out within three to five days. Ribeyes generally would go within a day or two days. And then the hamburger meat dwindled on for a week, two weeks, you know. Now, in June of 2022, late June 2022, that flopped. The hamburger meat was selling out in three, two, three, four, five days, which, you know, half, and then the steaks would sit there and they would drag on a little bit longer. You know, what caused it? I don't know. I think, you know, people started feeling a little bit of pinch, and not a bad pinch, but just a little bit of a pinch. Fast forward to this year, we had had a really good spring, and it was clicking on long there, you know. We still had the, the whole flip with the hamburger meat going quick, the steak staying late, everything was, we just got used to that. We just flopped our stuff around and done a little different. Closed down, we opened back up in September. It was a little slow, not bad slow, but a little slow. But as we progressed on into October, November, it just did, it got slower, money-wise. The beef wasn't moving, the the sweet corn wasn't moving, a lot of our stuff wasn't moving. And I just think people were either A, realizing maybe this, this economic situation that they're in, that we're in, we're all in together, is not getting any better. Or B, they were saving up for Christmas. And I don't, talking to some of these people at these stores and all, I don't think they were really getting saving up for Christmas. Mm -hmm. No. I've heard more people about, you know, we I sell stuff to local restaurants and they're good people and all that. And I thought, well, maybe, you know, I asked my wife, so what are we doing wrong here? I mean, you know, we're, we've been the same. We haven't increased. We, you know, stuff's just not moving. And the restaurant people are getting a little stuff, you know, and not talking to them. Their sales have been off since September. I said, well, maybe, maybe I'm not quite a business person as I thought I was. I know I'm not the greatest, but I mean, maybe, maybe other people's in the same boat. And as I talk to these other people throughout the community, their sales are down, down, down. And help, you know, labor situation. They can't get labor, but yeah. I don't know, Chad. I know everybody's got to make a living, but now something's going to have to change around here if everybody's going. There's gonna be a lot. There's gonna be a lot of restaurants. They're gonna, you know, you're finding out right now what you can and you can't do without right this minute. And yet, there's still a little bit of luxury stuff we still are able to go purchase, and 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 do. But that luxury stuff is getting less and less. And all I can ever think about is you see those old western movies back in the Depression age and all that, where they went to the store. You know, and I know this is a movie. Okay, I don't know what the Depression era. I mean, I've read books and. And they, you know, that they bought the necessities, the flour, the, the 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 coffee, the sugar, the necessities, and then you'd have the kid ask, "Can I get a piece of candy?" Now that little piece of candy on TV, we think what, but a penny. And you say, "Well, golly, that's a penny." Well, that was a good bit of money back then. And you fast forward it to now. I don't. I'm not saying we're in depression here yet, but there's a lot of things that. Me and my wife have found out that we can do without. Yep. And that's to me. That's one of the scary things is we watch a lot of the Waltons and Little House on the Prairie with yeah, our kids, right? Yeah, they, and just, they enjoy it. And yeah, it's safe for them to watch for the most part, and we can just sit there and let yeah. it play. And so you see that, and you're like, okay, they they made good choices, and 
as as a country and as people who are well off compared to the rest of the world, we're used to having abundance. Uh, uh, Anything we want. When you want it, when you want it. Yep. You know, my wife and I, we've traveled a lot just doing work with people in different countries. And if you go to Mexico and you go to Haiti and, you know, spend time in India and and Europe, you don't go to the store and just buy stuff. It's not there on the shelf, right? It's just not there. And then you come home, you're like, man, this is so nice. You walk in and every shelf is stocked. And then during the pandemic, you started seeing some empty spots on the shelves. Yeah. You're like, wait a second, that's weird. And things have come back, right? But they haven't completely come back. No, there's still some stuff on that. You go to these grocery stores that, and you don't realize it because and then you walk by and you go, man, that, there used to be something right there. Yeah. You know, something like, and you wouldn't buy it every night, but you'd buy it every now and then to eat or something like that. You go, well, where's that at? Uh, you know, you was talking about that. I, my, my right-hand man is from Mexico, and I love him to death. He's a good guy. And he tells me about growing up in Mexico. And when he first came here, he goes, I go, do you eat hot dogs? No. I said, well, no. He said, they were too expensive in, in Mexico. I said, what do you mean too expensive? I mean, that's like the cheapest thing you can eat up here. He goes, we never have. He said, you know, well, we had was a tortilla. And he said, most of the time, it was a roasted pepper. And that was a sandwich. That was our meal. He said, we don't have all this stuff in Mexico. So you you said something a minute ago about you find out what you can do without. Yeah. You begin to find out. Darn right. And so, again, I'm not a negative person for the most part, although my wife wouldn't tell you that. <laughs> um, but you find out what you can do without. And right now people don't realize how important the American farmer is. And if we go through a period where a lot of farms are lost, it's one thing if you lose rented land, but to lose generational land. Oh, man. That's that, a different story. I mean, do that you. That is the scariest thing right this minute. Do you get back into farming after that? I don't know, Chad. It'd be, it'd be like. Losing rented land would be like a broke finger. You know, I guess losing some land that you bought that's not the family land, that would be a broke arm. But now losing something that. That, that, you know, you've held on to and held on to and held on to. Every generation ahead of you has held on to it. And then you stand a chance to lose it. I don't know if I'd be a broke back or shot, one of the two. I'm, I'm not saying much. Yeah. It, is, it's, it is scary. And I think that is, you know, farmer suicides are up. There's a lot of people that's got issues, but they're not going to admit it. Okay, they're not going to admit they got a financial issue. They're not going to admit they got a mental issue. With you know, but Georgia is one of the highest suicide rates for farmers in the southeast. I don't have it in front of me, but there was a lot of suicides. Was it all financial? I don't know. I mean, they, I'm sure there were some other underlying issues in there, but I guarantee financial had something to do with it somewhere. Yeah, I know you've heard the stories, and I've heard them. I mean, we told a story about years ago. A farmer that was about to lose generational land that took his life because he thought the insurance would pay off. Yeah. And he went in his bedroom and his wife was in the kitchen and the kids were all at school and he took his life. And of course, the insurance had to pay out on that. And so he did not help his family by doing uh-huh. that. And, right? You know, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not one of them. You know, suicide never crosses my mind, but losing generational land does cross my mind. Losing any piece of property crosses my mind because every time you look around there's two things happening. There's houses being built and there's a dadgum solar farm being built. 
And that is two of the scariest things in my life is to know that you drive by something and you go, man, you played on it as a kid. You drove through that field as a kid. That's where you learned to drive. And you got some kids your own and they can't enjoy it no more. That's, that, that tears your nerves up. Yeah. Is it a pride thing? So in my brain, like I see the value and I understand the value of what you just said. And everybody wants that for their kids, right? That's right? Hopefully their kids' kids. But can we do without the American farmer? What happens to our country? God, man, I'll tell you something. You know, you have so many, I would say organizations and groups that constantly beat down every single thing the American farmer does. You know, it's constant, it's PETA. It's, you know, the people thinking that we're spraying pesticides out here to kill people. I mean, it's just constant stuff. And we make our living off of this. You know, if we kill our dirt, what good is it to me? Except to put a solar farmer house on. I don't want that to happen. I don't know if any farmer living, farming, that's ever lived that wants to intentionally do something to harm their dirt, something to harm their customers because you know hey if we kill off all our customers who are we gonna sell our stuff to yeah it's a bad argument oh man i mean i get them all the time up there are you organic well no i'm not organic i said do i believe in organic not really i said is it a good thing yeah it is it's a marketing gimmick and i'm proud for y'all that can do it but i'm not sitting here i mean i want you to come back Next week, next year. I mean, I got customers that's been with my parents since they opened up that still come every day. And I ask them all the time. Uh, Mr. Burrell, he was there the other day. I asked him, I had a lady going, well, do you put fertilizer on your stuff? I said, well, yes, ma'am. If I want a crop, I have to do it. Well, what analysis do you do? I said, well, I'm not going to share that with you. I said, because that's analysis is kind of what I use for my dirt. And she said, well, my husband's this, this, and this. I said, ma'am, I said, and Mr. Burrell was there. He's 80. Four eighty-five years old. I said, Mr. Bray, I said, how long have you been coming here? I've been coming for, you know, 20, 30, 25, 30, 40 years, whatever. He goes, how old are you, Mr. Burrell? He goes, he told me. I said, see there, ma'am. I said, how many times you come out here, Mr. Bray? He goes, every day. I said, ma'am, I said, see there? I said, he's healthy as a horse. I said, my kids eat this stuff. My Neighbors eat this. My preachers eat this. Doctors eat this. I mean, everybody that you can probably talk to in this community, not everybody, but everybody's linked somehow, has eat my meat, my beef, my produce that, that we raise here, and they're all in good health. I'm not trying to. I want to make sure you're good. Yeah. You have to take care of your customers. That's every industry. But, you know, United States, we face more regulations. Yeah. More government regulations, more, and, and, and a lot of them is good. Some of them is just as silly as you ever heard in your life, some of the things we face. But we got the safest, we have got the safest product on the market. Yeah. So years ago, I sat down with the Commissioner of Ag here, and he said that he remembered all the way back to his time in high school, the 70s being told, hey, you've got to tell your story. As a farmer, you've got to tell yeah. your story, right? And he kind of smiled when he said that because everybody still says you've got to tell your story. So are we not doing an effective job telling our stories as farmers? Are we not doing it the right way? Because politicians, right? And I've been told by politicians, and you don't say politician, you say government officials, right? Because they're not politicians, <laughs> they're government officials. Two different classes of people, right? They, they are not 
tuned in to what's going on out here. They're not. And then the American consumer's not tuned in, right? And so that allows that allows them to have bad regulations, Man. bad bills, bad marketing that leads to everything being labeled non-GMO, non-organic, right? And anti no antibiotics ever fed to this chicken. Well, no chicken. I mean, that's, that's that, that none of them have it in there. There is so much misinformation out there that people spin. And it's to make their point look better. Yeah. Uh, it's you all know, about the dollar. The, the best analogy my wife uses all the time, does your cows have any antibodies? And she tells them, no, ma'am, but they've had their shots. Well, I'm not eating if they had their vaccines. And she looks at them and she said, ma'am, did you have your vaccines when you was a child? Well, yes. <laughs> does your child have vaccines? Well, yes. Well, we give the vaccines so the cows are not sick, so they don't. So we don't have to give them antibiotics. So they, it's 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 for the good of everybody. We do this stuff for. Same thing with 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 with, with crops, with produce. I mean, there's certain steps you do. So number one, we can ensure a crop, and number two, to make sure you got something to eat. Yep. So you probably know this, the dairy industry. It's like every other oh, industry. If they're taking a hard hit. But if the person coming to pick up the milk, when they test the milk, right, before they put it in their tanker and drive off, if it has any trace of antibiotics in it, they dump it. They dump that entire Dang right. tanker load yeah. on the ground at the dairy, and it's just gone. That's right. So it, it will not leave that dairy. Uh -oh. There's, a, I mean, just the most minute trace of antibiotics in it. That's right. So one cow had antibiotics. It shows up in that tanker load. Man, how many gallons of milk is that in that thing? Oh, gosh, what are those I things? don't know. It probably, I'm going to guess 4,500 to 5,000 I was thinking 4,500 gallons. Just gone because of a small that's trace. Right. So they don't want to mess up their sale. No you know what I mean? Does. I mean, that is bad when they have to do that. If yeah. they have to. I'm not, I'm sure a mistake will happen. Somebody will give a calf a shot, a cow shot, you know, but man, do you think they want to do that lose money? And all these people, no bad antibiotics. Know this, know that. Well, that's all milk. It it's don't matter milk. what it is. It's just it's, like with if antibiotics on on chickens or pork or beef, there is a there's there's a window right there that you know some of them sixty days, some seventy days, some ninety day pre harvest. You don't give them a shot, you know. And they've taken the government has pretty much oversaw. They've taken just about any kind of antibiotic off the shelf now, to where now we have to go get a vet script to give just about anything. Let's talk for a minute more about for what we're seeing for 24. We need, we need government officials to understand what's going on in agriculture. We need the American consumer to understand what's going on in agriculture. That farmers, they're struggling. They care about the consumer. They care about their land. Their kids eat off of their land, right? Turn around. They're not trying to kill anybody. They're trying their best to feed America. Let's not talk about the rest of the world. Let's just say feed America, right? That's right. Feed our population, right? And so they need to know these things. So what is the outlook that you're hearing? What's happening in 24? I've talked to several farmers. Say, look, we're just cutting back. And I don't know if they're cutting back because they financially they have to because they can't borrow enough money to do this. Or if they cut back, I've cut back. I'm backing up. I'm going, okay, I'm going to take what I got, and I'm going to do a better job of what I got. You know, m more intense, more just a better management thing altogether. And until I can manage that, I don't want no more. I want what I got. 
I'm hearing a lot of people cutting back. I don't know. I think there's still a lot of people still up in arms about what they're going to do, what they're going to plant. Now, you got some that's still going to plant the cotton. They're still going to plant the peanuts. They're still going to plant the corn because they got stock in this shelling plant. These have got stock in this cotton gin. You know, they got equipment bought to do certain things, especially the equipment. But I don't, I think they're still all up in arms about what they're going to do. How are they going to do it? You look at the futures right now, none of the markets look good. Cotton's cheap, corn's cheap, beans cheap. And if you're figuring all the markets, the, the inputs that's right now, what we've got right now in 2023, and nobody's telling you, well, that's going, you know, we're going to half our seed this year. We're going to half our fertilizer. Everything will come back down 50%. You don't know what to do, what to plan for. So I'm just bullheaded. We're going to go ahead. We're going to do it this way. You know, I've been doing it like this for years. We're going to go on ahead with it. And that's fine if you got a long enough shirt tail. That's great. But I think them shirt tails have gotten cut really short in the last two years, three especially. has got cut short. And it wasn't the fact. Some of it was weather related. I mean, we had we was hot. We was dry down here in southwest Georgia. You know, there was wind. I, me personally, I had hail storms. I had wind storms. I had frost i mean that excessive heat on a lot of tomatoes they didn't i mean it was just it was a culmination weather has really affected me worse than anything and i can ever remember i've had more weather issues related stuff than i've ever had but some it's gonna come down to just having to change your whole outlook and just say look swallow pride back up and say okay this is not gonna work we're gonna have to do something different now, I don't know how much backing up some of us can do, will do, can do. Now, you still got to go into it understand, I want to make the best yield I can, the most economic, best decisions I can make. But, man, half a zero, zero all day long. Mm -hmm. the, the, the risk is so great, but yet your, 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 your return is just marginal, if any, on a lot of these crops. I've seen more farmers this year, just sitting here thinking about it, that are coming up with other business ideas, yeah. running other businesses, whether it's <laughs> drone spraying, right, whatever it is, but they're doing different things. But you know, the sad thing with that, Chad, is, I say sad, it's not a sad thing, it's a great idea, but it's all ag-driven. That's a really good point. And, and if, and if, and if ag crashes, if, if so-and-so, goes out or so-and-so does this, so-and-so does that, what good is those spreader trucks? What good is those drones? What good, you know, me personally, right this minute, on my equipment, I'm learning, you know, I used to laugh at my damn daddy and my granddaddy about some of the stuff they come up with to make a piece of equipment run. I'm doing it because the cost of parts, the cost of this, cost that, man, I mean, I, 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 I go through a, I try to find something that'll work to get me by for right now, and I know that's going to catch me, but all that stuff is driven by ag. I thought the other day, you know, what if push come to shove, if I had to go get a job two or three days a week, what would I do? And I sit there, and I think, and I think, and I think. I say, you know, I don't know. I ain't good at nothing. <laughs> I, I, don't, I don't know what I'm good at. Heck, I can't. Uh, I don't have the charisma to be a greeter at Walmart. I don't. I couldn't sell insurance very well because I, I just. I don't know what I'd do. I guess. I you know. I guess I can go work for a, 
farm supply and drive a spreader truck or do whatever, you know. And I, I think, well, but if they don't have business, what am I going to do? What are you going to do? But I wouldn't be happy doing it. I think about it every day. Yeah, I come up here, at, you know, this time of year, I'm a little sorry. I don't get up here about 730, 745. And I go home at 535, 45. But during the summer, I'm up here at daylight. I go home at dark. I wouldn't know what to do with extra time. I don't know what I'd do. I'd probably... I would fish. <laughs> I would come up with a hobby. <laughs> but besides this, but I wouldn't be happy. So I know you got. They say you got to have be happy and make money. You do. I mean, happiness has a lot to do with your job. But you can't. You can't be happy or starve to death either. Man, I don't know if I want to ask you anything else after that. That's, <laughs> that's tough. It's tough, but it's so true. It is. <laughs> And and that's a good way to wrap. But the only thing is, I don't want to wrap on the idea of not being able to continue to live the dream. So, how do you? How do we? How do you? How does the American farmer get beyond this and past this? We're gonna have to tough this one out, buddy. It's gonna be rough. You know, my biggest concern is the amount of farmland that's gonna be lost. And I don't think a lot of it's going to be taken out of production, okay? I think this stuff just going to stay in production. I mean, that's just, it's, it's, it's too, it's too far from town to put a subdivision on. It's too this, it's too that. Uh, it's too far from a major transmission line of solar farms. But they is companies out there that have, of the American people, capitalism, and that's a great thing, but there's a lot of investor money out there that's going to buy up this farmland. Yeah. I mean, they'd be stupid not to. I mean, it's, it's, it's you know, it, they're not making it anymore. It's shrinking. But there's going to be a lot of investors about this farmland. And what you going to do? And you're going to turn around from them. You don't own it. You're going to rent it. And that's okay, but it, it's not. Or manage it for them. It don't have the meaning. Uh-uh. It's a job at that no point. More. It goes back to it's just a job. Right. It ain't right. It ain't a just a... That's mine. For whatever it's worth. You know, I tell everybody the other day, you know, I, I live in southwest Georgia and it's full of gnats. <laughs> and it's so hot. And it's humid. But you know what? It's my little corner of earth. And I wouldn't trade nothing for it. But I'm just scared a lot of this stuff's going to be lost. The, the, that is our United States have been secure in their food and fiber. You take countries like Africa. I mean, continents, the countries inside of Africa that are, they're so unstable food-wise. They're surviving. These people do not have food security. You take out food security, mm -hmm. you are at anybody's mercy then. Yep. They, you know, all these other foreign countries have made sure that their farmers are taken care of because they almost starved to death. You know, it was different. There was the, what, the potato famine. Mm -hmm. There were several instances through there that came through and caused a, a almost a cataclysmic type disaster. People starved. And we're safe for right this minute. I mean, we're safe. I mean, you know, you're not going to, you can still go to that grocery store. You can get anything that you want, any way you want. You can get a pre-cooked chicken. You can get it any way you want it, fried grilled, smoked, it don't matter. You can go any kind of vest you want to in that can. You can go get any kind of snack, drink, you name it, you can get it if you can afford it. 
But now there's a lot of these countries right here don't have that. It's, it's they live out there and they got they got just a few choices and you learn to deal with it. Mm -hmm. And then it's not a certain they're going to have it next week when you get ready to go get it again. No. So Haiti's in turmoil right now. We, yeah. we spent a lot of time in Haiti. And one day we were having chicken. And it was like no chicken I'd ever seen before. And so I said, what is this? And they said, it's chicken. <laughs> I said, I've never eaten chicken. This, I mean, it looked like beef, right? Yeah. I mean, it was that dark of color and had that kind. Of, and I said, can you show me what, what chicken? Where, where's the chicken? And they took me outside. It was a guinea. So they call their guinea's chicken when yeah, you put yeah. it on the plate. And it does not eat like a chicken does. But you don't know what you're getting. And, yeah. and I'm taking this back to your whole security thing. Without food stability, you don't have security. No. Right? And so in Haiti, there's not security for anyone right now because there's no food for anyone right now. You know, I was talking to a president, and I said, what do you honestly think about that American farmer? And immediate response was, farming's not about food, farming's about national security, right? If we cannot feed ourselves, Dang right, we man. are not a sovereign nation. You know, you think people, we all, we're all guilty of it. We have our priorities in the wrong order. You see on that Black Friday place where people fighting over dadgum TVs. Yeah. And, and this and that. And that TV is on that wall. You can't eat that daggum TV. Nope. You can watch that TV. You can't eat it. Now, imagine if you was having a fight over something to eat. Yeah. When your ration card come up, you're allowed to have this, 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 and this. Now, granted, it it's would probably, it would cure a lot of obesity problems, okay? <laughs> I, I could do it out myself. But... Man, you throw that in there. You could just imagine what it'd be like fighting over something. You know, you mentioned obesity. I saw a stat the other day that said over 50% of people in poverty in America are obese. What? They're eating junk food. But they're eating food. Anything they want still. That's right. That's how good we have you it in this country. Right. But we have it that good because of our system that was put in place centuries ago. To feed ourselves yeah. and to take care of ourselves. Yeah, you know that that you know. I, correct me if I'm wrong. Right after the depression, later in the depression, I guess that kind of what triggers some of the the depression. I want the dust bowl and some things. Kind of say, okay, we need to come up with a food security type deal. The FSA Office Farm Subsidy type deal was kind of in the play then. I don't know if that's what triggered it, but I mean, reading book was it was it Roosevelt was the president when he implemented, you know conservation right. back in, planting treeways to stop and all that. It was just a whole lot of stuff. And you know, the people in New York was affected by that from the tag of sandstorms that was way out there in the heart of the United States. Start out there in uh what's the name of Boise City out of Oklahoma kinda of where it started, that little old this, this was a rough looking place, but anyhow. They were getting sandstorms. They were being affected from New York from that sandstorms. That was back in the early 1900s. Hey, well, that's going to affect us. I mean, you've got a population that's I don't know how many times larger than what we were in 1911, 12, 13, but it is huge compared to that. Uh -huh. And then people out there were on the, you know, that was back when everybody, during the Depression era, you had a ration card, am I correct? Yeah. I mean, you was allowed this, 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 and this, and, you know, because it was a food shortage. Now, that was a Mother Nature cost thing along with a somewhat of economic, but now, it's going to be more of an economic-driven type deal than it is anything else. And it ain't going to be that we can't grow it. It's not going to be that Mother Nature is going to do it. I mean, it could, but not likely. It's going to be from people that just flat can't afford to do it. They can't do it. 
they can't afford to grow it or they can't afford to buy it? They ain't going to be able to afford to grow it and then they ain't going to be able to afford to buy it. That's going to be that's a two-edged sword of what's going to happen. You know, you're going to go from 10, 14, 15% of your income buying food and everybody thinks it's expensive now that, you know, but 14, 15% of your income is nothing to buy food. Now, what if it went to 50, 60%? You wouldn't have it's over, man. Cable TV. You would you you cut out a lot of stuff that you got comfortable to because you're not gonna do without something to eat. You're now, back. To, you're back to what we talked about earlier. I'm not gonna have. You know what I won't have? I won't have me personally right now. I don't have any dental health insurance. I have no health insurance. Okay. I'm praying to goodness. I try to act more my age now and stuff like a young and like he used to act. I don't do which I can't. <laughs> I can't move and do the stupid stuff I used to do. All right, but I can't afford nothing because I can't. I can't afford a accident because I can't afford to go see about it. But I've had to cut a lot of that stuff out because I still. I still got taxes to pay. I still got to buy food to eat. We cut out all our extra internet. We don't have, we got the internet because we have to as a business. I guess one day I don't have to have that, but I mean, it's just about now in today's world, if you got, you got to have internet to function. But direct TV, out the door. You don't need it, man. We do it out. We got, she got Netflix and we watched that and it took me a while. I can't watch my favorite Law and Order episodes no more. <laughs> NCIS and stuff like that. I've had to do it out the things that we thought was necessary. I go once a year over to my physical. I pay cash. That's all, you know, that's all I can afford. I say I can afford. I, I guess I could afford it, but I'd have to give up something else. I don't know what else I could give up. I guess I'd cut back on eating maybe a little bit. Are you are you telling me that American farmers just not loaded down with money and rich and living the good life, Justin? I think some of them are that's done that's done good with their investments, that's made investments in other aspects, that's bought real estate maybe along the coast, beachfront property, that's made some real estate, different things. But a lot of farmers, uh, my dad always used this, they're asset rich, but they're cash poor. But when you're having to use your assets for liability reasons, having a bar of money against your assets, and you lose money on that asset every year, every year, every year, it goes from being an asset to a liability. You know, if you got a $500,000 piece of property, they'll loan you 60, 70, somebody's loan you 80% of what it's worth. Once you get past that eighty percent mark, they're not going to loan you no more money. And if you ever mess up, they're going to call that note due. You can't pay it because you have just sat here and tried. You have took your shovel. You have dug your hole a little deeper, a little deeper. And some years you covered up. You just keep on digging, keep digging. Next thing you know, you can't see out the top of the hole. How do you fix it, Chad? I don't know. I guess I don't know how you fix it. You know, I, I have a lot, of, and sometimes I lose it. faith in the Lord you know and I say lose it I'm not proud of losing it yeah. sometimes your back's up against a wall and not many people understand it you know and you pray and you pray and you pray and you have faith and sometimes it becomes overwhelming. 
and then you see a little light at the end of the tunnel that makes it better, you know. But it's, uh, it's a lot of faith, hard faith. My wife gets on to me all the time, I need to have faith. And I do. I do. But, man, it's when it's like you got everybody shooting airs at you and you're kind of in a hole trying to get out. It's, it can get rough, you know, to have. All we all, all we all trying to do is survive. You know, I don't, I don't care to be rich. I don't care nothing about it. I don't want no new trucks. I don't want no new tractors. I don't want any of that. I want to make a living. I want to put, and, and I know people have different definitions of making a living. And my definition is I don't, I'm happy right here. I don't want the world. I don't want, I don't want houses at the beach. It'd be nice. I, I mean, I'd like to go down there and, you know, kick back and relax, but I don't, I don't want all that. I don't want second homes. I don't want third homes. I don't want this. I just want to make a living. I want my kids to be able to make a living. You know, if they want a farm, I, I, I want them to be able to do it and not go, man, you can't do that. You can't do that because it's, it's not going to work. I don't want to have to have three jobs in town and still and just to support apartment <laughs> occupation. I just want to make a living. That's all I want. That's all I've ever wanted. And just, just be a productive citizen. Hey guys, we really appreciate you taking the time to listen today. I want to say a special thank you to Justin Long for sitting down with me and actually recording today's show in the cab of his truck. Hopefully there's a nugget of wisdom or two that you pulled out of it. And next week we'll be sitting down with Tommy Dollar talking about how you can weather the storm and his thoughts on that. See you then. Don't choose this life, this life chooses you. And I'd have to say we're the chosen few. It's all faith and farm and family And waking up to the American dream We put the seeds in the ground, send our prayers up high Put the beat in our hearts and the drop from the sky From town to little town, from dawn to dust It's a 24-7